Well, it happened again. Sometime during worship, every Sunday, I get lifted up to heaven. And, uh, you know, if Pastor Esep was the sorriest preacher in town, I'd come out here just to hear Steve and his crowd. But he's not the sorriest preacher. I would say he's the best preacher, but I have too many pastor friends in this town to say that. Uh, but he's stopped here. I've never come, but well, God speaks to me. Don't you love the way he handles the scripture? And So what am I doing up here? Well, I wonder. I'd much rather hear him. But there's a problem. He doesn't qualify to speak today. He's far too young. They wanted a geezer. In a distant city, I asked the pastor of a booming church, what connects with the younger generation? After all, Bill was winning dozens of them. Now, he's better at talking, top 2%, I'd say, than listening. So I soon forgot that I'd asked him. But about a week later, I got a phone call. It was Bill. About your question on the younger generations, he said, I think what they're after is intimacy. I thought, was this quest for intimacy generation-wide? Or was it just Bill? He certainly missed out on intimacy with two alcoholic parents. Totally dysfunctional home. Like so many in the post-boomer generations, like many in this room, or by that TV set. But it was more than a guess on my part. Some years before, his wife had come to me for counsel, weeping that her husband seemed not to have the foggiest idea about intimacy. Of the spirit, that is. Nor any interest in it. So was it just Bill in search of intimacy or the whole next generation or two? Well, about two weeks later, uh, I was on a flight to Philadelphia and I sat by Kevin, a 14-year-old. Recently, his parents had been divorced. I said, did you see it coming? He said, no. Choked up, looked out the window. I tried to hold out hope. He and his mother went to church occasionally. And uh, I said, no, what I mean, Kevin, is a personal relationship with God. And I had some new wisdom, didn't I? So I said, I understand your generation is after intimacy. Is that right? He said, like love? And I said, well, not necessarily sex love, but yes, love, caring, openness. Kevin spoke softly, almost to himself, and trust. What do you think it means? Let me tell you about the most intimate relationship a person can have. A very beautiful love story, our theme for this morning. If you'll turn to the familiar 15th chapter of John, I would like for you to watch for the end of intimacy. 
Here they are reclining around the table for their last meal together. And Jesus talked to them of many things. He talked to them about why they were not to be troubled and how they could not be troubled. And then he began to talk about vines. Uh, many scholars believe that the upper room probably overlooked the Kidron Valley below with its lush vineyards and brush fires, clippings, the smoke drifting up through the open window. As we read, beginning with verse 4, watch for the end of intimacy. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Notice he didn't say with the contemporary, I'll always be there for you. Although, praise God, that's true. He didn't say with, he didn't say close to, he said in. Now, you can't get any more intimate than that. You in Jesus, Jesus in you. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about Jesus in you, but I think physical. Ever since I was a lad and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, I, I felt that he was there. And that's legitimate. Drop back to chapter 14 and look at... Uh, Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, that is my Father and I, will come to him and make our home with him. But then verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I think physical. But you in Christ... That couldn't be physical, could it? As he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, some of you theologians will go to Paul and say, he was forever talking about being in Christ. But, you know, Paul was speaking forensically. He was talking about the legal standing that you have in Christ, so that when God sees you and all your failure, all he sees is the glorious Jesus as you're wrapped up in his righteousness. But here in the upper room, Jesus is speaking of something different. There's a great mystery here. But in seems to focus more on a relation than a location. Seems to describe a relationship between two people. Well, the end of intimacy is so mysterious, I can't even understand it, let alone explain it. But notice, it has something to do with love. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, I may not be able to understand it, but I can illustrate it. And the illustration is so incredible, it will blow you away. At least it should. A few minutes after talking about the vine, Jesus turned and started talking to the Father. As the disciples continued to recline around the table, they listen in as the Son talks to the Father. Now, that's about as intimate a relationship as you can imagine, isn't it? The Father and the Son, one from all eternity. God the Father, God the Son. Problem is, this passage has been so co-opted by 
ecumenical enthusiasts to teach unity among believers, important as that is, that we may miss the point. And what a point! Listen in on the conversation between the Father and the Son with fresh ears as I read from another translation. My prayer for all of them. And now who is he praying for? Those twelve? No, he's just told the Father right before that, I'm not just praying for these here gathered, I'm praying for all those who will believe through their witness. Aha! His prayer is for you. His prayer is for me. Now what is he praying? My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, how? Just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us. So that we may be one, they may be one as we are. I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one. Incredible. Talk about intimacy. A relationship intended by God for you and him. So intimate, the only way to describe it is to say that in some mysterious way, it's sort of like the relationship between the Father and the Son. But this relationship was no afterthought. It was no add-on. It didn't start in the upper room. It didn't even start at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It was God's design from the beginning. That's why he made you on his pattern. You see, for intimate companionship, the lovers have to be compatible. So he created us God-compatible. His moral image was stamped on us, not to prove the Spirit's incredible powers. No, no. It was so we could be one with him in an intimate love relationship. What the Father, the Son, and Spirit had experienced through the ages, I don't know why, they had this thought, but they wanted other beings included, wrapped up in that bundle of love. We blew it, of course. We walked away from his love. We betrayed it. We consummated an illicit love affair with ourselves. We became incompatible, estranged. Divorced, But his nature didn't change. God is love by nature. So, in love, he reached out to you. To do what? To save you from hell? But of course, because he loves you. But so much more. To recreate you into the likeness of Jesus? Yes, yes. Surely. But why? Why did he want that renovation project in your life? He plans to restore the God compatibility so that once again we could have the capacity to experience loving oneness of heart. That's what he's after, ultimately. He created us in love for love, to love. For intimacy, you might say. Daily companionship. Sharing all our joys. Yes, my joys, but his joys. Surely my griefs, my heartaches, but his heartaches. Nothing hidden from him. 
Fairly recently, I've thought that so much of what I talk about to God is some problem of mine. He invites us to do that. You know how you feel about that friend who never calls you up except to ask for some favor? And when they're with you, all they do is dump on you? Uh, You're not so happy to see them coming, are you? I wonder how God feels sometime when he sees me coming. Oh, that I would always listen carefully for what brings him joy. What saddens him at rest in his fond embrace. Intimacy. Well, my seatmate on the flight to Philadelphia kept talking about church, so I said, Kevin, I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about a personal relationship, like being tight with Jesus. He whipped around and looked at me and he said, Are you tight with Jesus? Ah, I guess that's the question I'd like to ask you this morning. Are you tight with Jesus? Not everyone who goes to church is, you know. My Muriel and I had a wonderful intimacy, love flowing freely in both directions. But then for 25 years, my beloved slowly dimmed out into Alzheimer's. I loved her more at the end, perhaps, than ever before. But the heartache was she couldn't love me back. Except for memories... It was a one-sided love affair those last ten years. Once in a while our eyes would connect briefly when she woke up and when she'd smile, I'd fly the flag out front, inviting my neighbors and friends to join me in celebration of our smile day. She did communicate in the early years um, pretty plainly when she didn't like what I was doing cleaning her teeth or washing her hair. She'd grunt and complaint. Otherwise, no communication. It was as if I didn't exist. One day as I bent over her, caring for some need, all of a sudden I thought, Oh, Lord, is this the way it is between you and me? An early morning salute sometimes and Grunts when I don't like the way things are going. You pouring out your love on me so ceaselessly, caring for me, protecting me, guiding me, providing for me. And how sad for him pouring out his love so ceaselessly on one who blows back so poorly. Now, maybe there's someone here with that kind of love affair with God. But never forget. His love for you will never cool off. Look at verse 9. As the Father loved me, that's a pretty high level. I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He loves you. The question is, do you abide in his love? How do you abide? How do you live out life in his love? And if I wanted to get into that kind of love relationship or renew one that I once experienced, how would I go about it? I think the clue is in the very next verse. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. has something to do with his commands, with obedience. It's so simple. 
Who's boss? If you've been calling the shots all your life, it can be really tough to truly let go. And the older you get, the longer you've been with Frank Sinatra and having it your way, the tougher it gets. It was a youth conference, and after the first um, service, a young teen came bouncing up to me and, and said, Oh, Mr. McQuilkin, do you remember me? Now, that's a terrible question to ask an itinerant preacher. But you don't say, No, why should I? You say, Well, you stall for time, right? So I said, Oh, are you from Birmingham? Well, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the gift of prophecy, actually. There was a big bus over there from Birmingham, and <laughs> she said, why, yes. And then she left me off the hook. And she said, do you remember last summer when we sat on that stone wall out there and talked? And I said, oh, yes, Debbie. How's it been? I already knew because the youth pastor who had brought them had told me that a couple of girls had gone back from that conference, started an early morning prayer meeting before school, and others joined and others joined, and then there was an impact on the whole school. Do you remember? I remember. Because she'd come to me after the final service and she said rather gloomily, I didn't go down. She meant she hadn't responded to the invitation. And I said, that's okay, not everybody's supposed to go down. She said, yeah, but I'm tired of going down. I go down to consecrate. I go down to reconsecrate. I go down to yield. I go down to... Everything's great for a couple of weeks and then boom, it's right back the way it was. What's wrong with me? And I said, I don't know. Um, who's in the driver's seat of your life? Oh, Jesus. Most of the time. I said, no, 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 he doesn't operate on that basis. He doesn't take the wheel and drive to the first intersection. You grab the wheel. No, he doesn't. Really. I said, I think what you're saying, Deb, and I took out a piece of paper. And on this paper, if I can find my paper here, I wrote two words. I wrote N-O and L-O-R-D. And I said, I think this is what you're trying to say. And she said, well, sometimes I do. And I said, but you can't say that. She bristled. She said, I do. And I said, but what does Lord mean? And she said, well, Savior. And I said, well, Savior, he's Lord, he's Savior. What does the word mean? She tried a couple of others and said, I give up. What does it mean? I said, well, what does king mean? She said, well, that's easy. He's the big boss. I said, do you ever say no to the king? She said, well, it wouldn't be very healthy to do that. And I said, listen, Lord means... Lord of all lords, King of all kings. You can't say no to him. It's Lord or no. And I turned and half. And I said, which will it be? She paused for a minute, dropped her head. A couple minutes. Finally, she threw back her head and she reached out to take Lord. And I took it away. I said, wait a minute. How long do you want him to be Lord? And she said, oh, I want him to be Lord forever. She came to abide in Christ. And what happened? Fruit. Lots of fruit. Abundant fruit. And you see that. My question for you is, are you tight with Jesus?
Is he boss unconditionally? If not, you'll never know that love relationship. Maybe today is the day to renew your vows. Or to take them for the first time. But there will be fruit. And you see that in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, who lives out life in me, who stays tight with me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If I join Debbie today and enter into that tight love relationship, what will happen? Fruit. Lots of it. People can tell what kind of vine you are by the fruit you bear, said Jesus. You don't get persimmons off grapevines. And you don't get Jesus' fruit off the old me. Not there. The pre-Jesus me. Not till I've been grafted in tight. Abiding. So, when you're in a tough spot, what comes out? The old you? The, your genes and your early environment kick in? What? Your personality? Or is it miracle fruit? Jesus fruit? Now, in the upper room here, you notice he spoke of joy and love. Paul lists more fruit of the Spirit, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. And, and notice, it's not just a few weasened up little bits of fruit once in a while, so that if the fruit inspector around your family breakfast table or wherever keeps looking long enough, they can say, oh yeah, maybe she is a Jesus vine after all. No, 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 a bumper crop, lots of fruit. All day, every day. And if there isn't that, notice what he says in verse 8. You don't have evidence you're a disciple at all. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will prove to be my disciples. That's the proof, that's the evidence. What kind of fruit? That's not the only kind of fruit. Verse 16 is mine. God gave it to me to get me to go to Japan as a missionary. But you can have it. If you like. Verse 16, you did not choose me. That's good. But I chose you on purpose, appointed you that you should do what? Go, not where you sit at home bearing Jesus' fruit, but go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. We needed that promise for Japan. Really did. And God gave us that promise. And God kept that promise. Actually, everyone has a job to do for God. Not just ordained folks. And your service for God. Like the one astonishing story we heard this morning. Your service, though it might be small. If it's his appointment and the mission he sent you on. And you pack, impact others. Then notice that these... It won't go unrewarded. Notice that these two promises for the fruit of the Spirit and for fruit in ministry have with them the most incredible promise. In verse 7, what does it say? Abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Oh Lord, I know what I desire. I desire a new Mercedes. I desire a big house on the lake and another one down at the beach. I desire... Well, I don't say you shouldn't ask for those things, but I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. It's talking about what? Fruit. Lord, I'm kind of slow on the patience fruit. Please, give me abundant harvest so that everybody can see me and know that's a miracle. From a quilting to behave that way. 
Whatever you ask, he will do it. And notice this same incredible promise is repeated again in verse 16. That your fruit should remain, that is your efforts, your, your ministry in his behalf. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Lord, help me to impact somebody for Jesus today. May they see a true reflection of Jesus. So they'll be drawn. I need a miracle, Lord. And what happens? He'll give it to you. He'll answer the prayer. That's how it happens. That's what life is all about. You stay tight with him. You bear lots of Jesus fruit. And you impact others for Jesus. Mrs. Long was a good Baptist. But you had to really be a patient fruit inspector to figure out what kind of vine she was. She had plenty to complain about. She had relatives and family fighting over wills and non-wills, but mainly she was in great pain. I used to visit, lived in North Columbia, I'd visit her once in a while. She was old and crippled with arthritis. She couldn't hold anything in her hands, she couldn't drive the car, and she walked on crippled feet. One day she asked me to take her downtown to do a little business, so I took her downtown. On the way she said, Robertson, tell me. Why does God let us get old and hurt so and have so much pain? And I said, well, Ms. Long, I, I really don't know. I got a theory about it, but what's your theory? I said, well, someday when we have time, I'll tell you because we'd already stopped double parking in front of the bank. And she said, no, you tell me right now. So I tried to make it brief. I said, my theory is that the strength and beauty of youth is physical. And God designed it for the strength and beauty of age to be of the Spirit. But the problem is, so many of us spend so much time and effort trying to cling to the strength and beauty of youth that we miss out on both. But God's fixed it so that, you know, if we stayed that youthful strength and beauty, we would never want to go to heaven. We just like it just fine right here. But he's fixed it so it could sort of wean us up for heaven. That's my theory. Mm. So she got out and did her business. A couple weeks later, I heard she was in the hospital, been rushed to the hospital. I went down there. And as I came in the door, before she said anything else, she said, Robertson, your theory is true. <laughs> of course, it wasn't my theory. I got it from the book. But at any rate, <laughs> she said, I really want to go to be with Jesus. You know, at any age, in any condition, it's not too late to get tight with Jesus and start having miracle fruit, Jesus' fruit. Start impacting others for Jesus, as she did. It's never too late. She did right in that hospital bed because the psalmist says it's a good thing to think about the brevity of life, about the end of it. In fact, it's dumb, very hazardous not to. Alone with God for my annual retreat with him, I was contemplating the end of life, not as young as I once was. And I wrote a prayer to the Lord. It was just for him. 
I showed it to a colleague, and I guess that was my big mistake, because he said, we have to share this with our friends. And so we shared it, and it took on a life of its own. You can find it all over the Internet, many books. But it was just my cry to the Lord. I invite you as we close, if you feel at one with it, to pray this prayer with me. Shall we pray? It's sundown, Lord. The shadows of my life stretch back into the dimness of the years long spent. I fear not death, for that grim foe betrays himself at last, thrusting me forever into life. Life with you, unsoiled and free. But I do fear. I fear the dark specter may come too soon. Or do I mean too late? That I should end before I finish, or finish, but not well. That I should stain your honor, shame your name, grieve your loving heart. Few, they tell me, finish well. Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of a spirit grown mean and small, fruit shriveled on the vine, bitter to the taste of my companions, burdened to be borne by those brave few who love me still. No, Lord, let the fruit grow lush and sweet, a joy to all who taste. Spirit sign of God at work, stronger, fuller, brighter at the end. Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of tattered gifts, rust-locked, half-spent, or ill-spent. A life that once was used of God now set aside. Grief for glories gone or fretting for a task God never gave. Mourning in the hollow chambers of memory. Gazing on the faded banners of victories long gone. Cannot I run well unto the end? Lord, let me get home before dark. The outer me decays. I do not fret or ask reprieve. The ebbing strength but weans me from Mother Earth and grows me up for heaven. I do not cling to shadows cast by immortality. I do not patch the scaffold lent to build the real, eternal me. I do not clutch about me my cocoon, vainly struggling to hold a hostage, a free spirit pressing to be born. But... Will I reach the gate in lingering pain, body distorted, grotesque? Or will it be a mind, wandering untethered among light fantasies or grim terrors? Of your grace, Father, I humbly ask, let me get home before dark. Amen. And now it's decision-making time. Are you tight with Jesus? Have you lost the relationship you once had? What better time as the choir comes to come to the same altar where you may have met him the first time and renew those vows? You could do it in your pew, of course. But you wanted it to be public in the first place. Or maybe... Maybe you're not sure you ever really have connected with him. You're with Kevin. And you're not for sure that you belong to him. He's not Lord of your life. 
you haven't trusted him to redeem you. What better time than today? Today. Pastor Step will be waiting. And, and you come if you need to do business with God. Maybe just signing off on who's Lord for the first time or again. And then, of course, if you're connected with him, but you're not connected with part of this family here. And this seems to be the family for you. Then, Pastor, wait. And you come as the choir sings. Whatever the business needs to be done with God, you come.